We are joined in studio by our employment law expert, Gareth Abdul. Very good afternoon again, Gareth. Hello, Gareth. Hi, guys. Good to see you. Well, you'll be, uh, <laughs> every time I, you come in, I think, <laughs> you poor soul, there's so many demands for your time at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, it's pretty busy. Mm. Um, lots mm. of people needing help. Absolutely. I'm going to go straight to it. Uh, by the way, if you've got a question, 0800 80 10 80. Tyler's standing by to take your calls and suggestion. We always say this, but it's true. Get in early because we do run out of time really quickly. We do. 0800 80 10 80. Or you can text uh, your question to 9292. Straight away, a text here says, Hey, Seinfeld, question for Gareth, please. If a business makes you redundant, can that business enforce the restraint of trade? Yes. Oh, really? Oh, that's a pretty straightforward answer. Yeah, there's... There's this common misconception out there that if you've been made redundant, suddenly the restraint doesn't apply. Of course, that's putting aside the question, is the restraint enforceable in the first place? But if it is enforceable in the first place, simply because you've been made redundant doesn't mean um, the business can't enforce that restraint. Gee, yeah. I find that really unfair, though. Actually, yeah, so do I. Actually, it, it just—I yeah. mean, by and large, most most common law I've, and contracts and stuff, I find. Well, that's common sense sort of thing, as we've often said when you've been in here, Gareth. But that does seem unfair to me. If you get flicked, then how can they enforce a restraint of trade? Or, or you know, I, mean, I think the important thing is to actually think about what the restraint is. Now, a restraint can't prevent you from making a living or getting another job. What a restraint can legitimately do is protect those business relationships or their the particular information that you've only gathered through part of your job. Right. Um, so it's pretty unfair to a business to introduce you to all of its customers uh, and then because the business is going through a difficult time, your position gets disestablished, you're made redundant, and, and then you go and steal all of their customers. Um, that's not very fair either. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just a different way of looking at it. Gee whiz, that's okay, that's really interesting. So just repeating that, if a business makes you redundant, that business then can still technically enforce a restraint of trade. Yeah. Wow. Not right. Uh g'day, Scott. G'day. Hey guys. My question is in around um, the modern world, I guess you would say. Um, especially for people who work with a group of people in different shifts, different days, and the bosses start up a messenger group or a WhatsApp or whatever, and they all message each other and the bosses message you the staff constantly during the day and night, Sunday, Saturday, and it's constantly talking about what's happening next day or this or that, whatever it might be. There just doesn't seem to be a less up on it. What are the what are the laws around, you know, that sort of thing going on? Because I find what happens is, it's not for me, but it's more my wife, she will get messages at 9.30 at night out for tea on a Saturday night that the, the group, the, one of the bosses wants to talk about something that's important or whatever. Or <coughs> It just doesn't seem to be a switch off nowadays the workplace is at home with you all the time via your mobile device. Mm. What's that's, your thoughts around uh, that? That's a fantastic question, Scott. Um, and a lot of this is stuff that just happens without people really putting too much thought into it. Um, in, in all my time doing this, I, I, I've dealt with very few employers who've gone, we want to use our employees' time when they're at home. Mm. Um, they don't, ex- they don't think about it like that, but everybody's using this technology, everybody's using the social media, and it just creeps and creeps until it gets to an unacceptable level. Um, the law on it's a bit grey. It is a developing area. There is uh, some case law on it, but 
perhaps not as much as you would think. Mm. As far as practical advice goes, I, I suggest that your wife actually raises this in a constructive way with her employer because I think there's a fair chance that they've never actually thought about it and they've never realised that this is actually making it very difficult to switch off. Um, I, I, a lot of employers are now starting to actually say to employees, we don't expect you to be available when you're not working, um, unless there's a particular reason for it. Mm. For example, my team, I don't expect them to be checking emails when they're not at work, unless there's an exceptional reason for that. Because you don't want your staff to be tired. You don't want them to be exhausted from constantly being on. You want them to recover so that they can be at their best when they are working. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, the, the incident we had was um, we're out for tea for the first time, obviously, since, um, yeah, since lockdown. And it all started over lockdown, really, because they were all communicating, doing work yeah. from home and such. And that's where it started. And then it just crept into the normal day-to-day, and we're out for tea on a Saturday night. And up comes a, a message. Yeah, that's the last yeah. thing you want. <laughs> yeah. Scott, that's a very good question. Thank you for asking it. 21 minutes away from four. Now, Gareth, this is a question that keeps cropping up, but I, I'm going to ask it because I think if people haven't heard before. Uh, my employer has reduced my income for three months due to COVID. Should he also be reducing our hours or do we still have to work the 40 hours for less money? Thanks. Well, it really depends on what you've agreed with your employer. Um, this is an issue that does come up all the time. Yeah. Now, the law is clear. An employer can't just reduce your pay without your agreement. Of course, during COVID and, and even after the lockdown, uh, some businesses are really, really facing difficulty. And if you don't agree to reduced pay, uh, that may unfortunately mean that you're out of a job. But there's no hard and fast, is there? Like, there's, there's no hard and fast rule. It's, it needs to be based on agreement. Right. You see, because my son-in-law, he's a lawyer. He was reduced in, by pay 20%, but also his hours were yep. reduced accordingly. Whereas oh, Phil yeah. and I, yep. we've taken a 15% pay cut, but our hours have yep. remained that's exactly the same. same. Yeah. That's, that's right. And the more cases I hear of, uh, the more it proves that they're really there's no commonality. For, for every different workplace, there seems to be a different arrangement. So some people have agreed to pay cuts and they're doing the same, if not more hours. Some people uh, agreed to pay cuts and their time reduced accordingly. Um, and, and some people haven't suffered any of that, but, but they're working much harder. Right. Mm. Um, so it's very difficult to to have a rule that applies to everyone. Uh, loads of phone calls coming in here, so if you can't get through, there, there isn't a phone line free at the moment, but hopefully one will free up very shortly. G'day, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, mate. Very good. What's your hey, question? Just, a, just a, a question for Gareth around the 90-day uh, the work trial and the impact of COVID. So if you had an employee that started work just before the lockdown, um, do those days count in the 90-day work trial because they actually weren't working? Yeah, Mike, that's a that's a great question. My understanding is the time continues to run. Um, right. That that does create some real difficulties for employers because how how are you supposed to evaluate if if that worker mm. was any good or not? Um, but my understanding is the time continues to run, and so in practical yeah, terms, so, so it's, what you're saying there is yeah. that from what you understand at the if the 90 days is nearly up now, it, it is nearly up. It's, it's that's not. right. That's right. Yeah. There's, there, there's no extension because of COVID. 
Sorry, mm. I can't hear you there. There's no extension to the 90 days because of COVID. So if the 90 days uh, right. is almost up, you, you've you got some decisions to make. Yeah, very good. Hopefully that's of help to you, Mike. Thanks for calling. Hi, Yvonne. Hello, Yvonne. Hi. I tell yeah. you, what, yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear us, Yvonne? I can, I can. I just, yeah. Um, my question is, my hours have been reduced from 30 hours to 20 hours. Um, and I was, I'm, I'm out on the road. It's been quite a flexible arrangement for the last three years. Due to COVID, things have changed, and that's fine. Um, but I've asked them, you know, if, okay, so I'd take the reduction, but can I work that over four days rather than five? But they're, they're sort of saying, no, we want you to work four and a half hours a day over five days, you know, 20 hours a week, which is, you know, they're not being very sort of flexible at all. Um, because I could do the 20 hours in four days very easily. So I haven't really accepted it, but they've said, let's just do it this way and see how it works. But I haven't actually formally signed anything or done anything like that. What, how, where do I stand with that? Because I'm still very unhappy about it. Well, if, if you're unhappy with it, Yvonne, you should really raise it with them. The difficulty with yeah. going along with it is that it could be taken that by by accepting the payment, by continuing to come to work, you have accepted it through your actions. Uh, so if you have a problem with it, you should really raise it with them and discuss it with them. Mm. Hopefully that helps, Yvonne. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Uh, Joanne, very good afternoon. Hello, Joanne. Yes, hi. Hi. What's your question, please? Hi, Gareth. Um, I have a, quite a specific question about for my husband, who's a GP. Um, if he has a 10-kilometer restraint of trade and we're actually thinking of starting out our own practice, um, does that mean that uh, we are actually poaching patients if we, if we open up within the 10 kilometers? That's that's a you're right. It's a very specific question, and where you've got a situation like that, the risks are quite high. And I strongly recommend that you go and get specific legal advice for that. It really comes down to the detail of the clause and the particular wording used. Um, and and the last thing I would want is for me to give you some general advice and then it not to be correct and it backfire. Um, I see. So, yeah, in a situation like that, it's very high risk, and I strongly recommend that that you invest, you know, in getting an in, in, in hour's advice from from a specialist, uh, sure, and they can help you with that. Sure, um, I'm actually trying to just understand the, I mean, the the whole basis of restraint or trade. If you're not trying to poach anyone, but you know, your patients actually come and walk into your practice without you, you know, trying to get them. Is it still considered that it's a, you know, it's a anti-competitive thing? Yeah, well, there, there's several different types of restraints. Um, they can be non-solicitation. They can actually prevent you from working for a certain period within a certain area, which sounds like this case. Uh, so... The last thing you would want to do is is take a risk without realising how much risk you're taking. Um, so definitely get that checked out by a professional. 
All right. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Joanne. That's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, so the 10K limit is that practice restraint she was sort of saying. And yeah. she's saying if they're not actively as a general practitioner mm. going to pursue people. Mm. But I suppose if you're working within 10Ks and people come and say, hey, doctor, so-and-so, I remember yeah. you. You know, I used to yeah. go to you, but now you're much closer. Yeah. Then that is, that's that, still. And, and that, as you say, Gareth, in some restraint of trade, um, agreements, I presume that that would be part of the yeah. deal, which which makes yeah. an awful lot of sense. Just quickly, can I ask one question up here because I'm intrigued myself. Hi there, my employer made me redundant at the start of the COVID-19 crisis without consultation or the opportunity for me to give feedback. I was told on a Friday to finish on Monday. Is that fair given the except, exceptional circumstances? Is there any legal basis for me to pursue something? Well, it certainly sounds unusual. Then again, the whole COVID yeah. lockdown was pretty sure. unusual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, an employer has to consult with an employee before they disestablish a role. Right. Of course, there were a number of businesses that pretty much saw the writing on the wall and realised they were going to have to shut up shop. Right. Uh, so I have heard of some people being made redundant without those normal expected steps being followed. Ultimately, the employee may have grounds for a claim. But if the business has gone under, well, you know, the last thing you want to do is spend a whole lot of money on legal costs. And I can't believe a lawyer is saying that. But (laughs) but you don't want to spend a whole lot of money on legal costs. Get a piece of paper that says, yes, you were treated unfairly, uh, but not actually get anything for it. Because what's the point? Yeah. Um, Okay. We're going to take one more call uh, and then we'll release you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hi, Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. G'day guys, um, I work in a vineyard in Melbourne and uh, we've had a few wet days lately and um, so I'll get a phone call or a text in the morning and the boss says, oh there's no work today and then, you get, and then you'll get your, um, your timesheet next week and he's actually taken a, a, a annual leave day off you, uh, can he do that? <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound unusual. Um, yep. There are a lot of contracts that do provide for uh, bad weather. Um, yeah. And a, a perfect example is I, I I work with a lot of roofing companies, and obviously when it's raining, you're not going to be putting roofing on and, and mm. climbing on the top of someone's slippery roof. Yeah. Um, and and in cases like that, uh, some of the agreements provide that uh, you will take leave. Some of the agreements provide that it will be um, unpaid. Uh, so there are various arrangements. Without actually seeing your employment agreement, it's difficult to tell, but it, yeah, I'm, it, I'm, it does definitely um, make me raise my eyebrows and, and question that because usually yeah, you I'm can't... A permanent, um permanent worker and yeah. contract 40 hours a week and, and then uh, you'll ring up on a, or text you on a Friday and say, oh, it's wet today, yeah. uh, can you work the Sunday instead when you've already made other arrangements for the weekend yeah. as well? Yeah, you know? yeah I'd, I'd definitely be raising that with your employer because it doesn't sound right. Okay, yep, that's cool. Good on you, Lindsay. Appreciate you taking the time to phone the show. One quick question in 30 seconds or less. Um, (laughs) No pressure, Gareth. (laughs) No pressure, Gareth. It says, if an employee is being paid the wage subsidy from another employer and they come to me for more work, do they have to pay secondary tax? Well, that's a tax question, really, isn't it? Yeah, Uh, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Gareth, thank you very much, mate. It's uh, very, very good to always have you and appreciate it. Thanks so much, My Gareth. pleasure. Take care, buddy. Just a reminder, the content of this segment is general in nature and is not legal advice. Any information discussed is not intended to be a substitute for obtaining specific professional advice and should not be relied upon as such. Gareth, partner with Mally & Co. will be back next week. This is News Talk ZB.